Well, the, the book of Acts is really a sequel to Luke's gospel. It's the author's extension of the story of God's love for the world that's revealed in Christ Jesus. Now, often in literature or at the cinema, when you get a sequel, it's not as good as the first one, is it? You know, sometimes it just kind of falls a bit flat. You know, you get this really good one, and it's a major box office success. So the production company churns out another one really quickly and just it flops. But when it does succeed, it's usually because the story was really strong. It really connects. It was maybe written to deliberately join up with that first one before the first one was even published. It's a continuing story all the way through. And that's what's happening here. God has a plan. He's had a plan from the beginning of time, a plan that goes through the time of the Israelites, a plan that goes through the exile, a plan that comes to Jesus, born in Bethlehem, that goes through the cross, rises from the grave. And we see here, ascends to the Father's side. It's a plan of what will happen. This is not a straight-to-DVD release. This is the continuing story. And at its first encounter with people, we'll leave them with their jaws dropped wide open and wondering what next. Just like those people in the story, those Galileans, those people of Galilee that are there on the hillside watching Jesus ascend, they're stood there going, And the angels have to say, you know, get on with it. That is what the book of Acts is like. It leaves us wondering what next will happen. Where will the people go? What will they be doing? Because it's not just a story of God's love. It's an adventure that starts in the Holy Land and starts to spread out. It starts to go east, it starts to go west, and it's the story that continues to today and to us being able to know Christ as Lord. Our passage is this opening scene, and it sets us up for the entire book. In the previous work, Luke's Gospel, we have the risen Lord appearing to the disciples. We have him ascending to heaven. We have practically this passage right at the end of the Gospel, but a bit shorter. But in that account, in Luke's Gospel, the timing's a little bit ambiguous. 
If you are just to read it by yourself and not have any other Gospels or this bit from Acts, you might be left thinking that Jesus ascends on the night of Easter Day itself. If you read it through, you find that he appears to them in the locked room, they eat a meal, they go out, and he ascends. And you'd be left going, oh, well, that's that then. But now, that would be a complete misunderstanding. And here, Luke has to revisit it and say, well, you know I told you. Well, the fact is that Jesus was around for 40 days. And in that time, he met with lots of people and he shared meals with them. And he told them about the kingdom of God. 40 days. 40 is a significant number, isn't it? It's not just a period that's about a week longer than a month. But it reflects back onto that time of journeying in the wilderness. It's a time that might reflect back onto the time of rainfall on Noah's ark. It's a number that might make us think of the Israelites and the number of years they spent trying to find the promised land. It's a significant number for God's people. But unlike those things of Jesus in the wilderness, Noah and the ark, Israelites journeying. This is not a time of being alone or separate. This is not a time of fasting and meagerness. This 40 days is a new 40 days. It's a time of eating meals together, engaging with one another, doing the sort of thing that Jesus did in most of his earthly ministry. And so the idea of gathering and sharing is not changed and is something that we still do today. We gather together to worship God. We gather to seek his word. We gather to praise God's name and to think of what it means to be people of the kingdom. We gather at times and share food. We gather and pray for one another. We share our burdens and rejoice in the good news. In this passage, as they spent 40 days, we see that Jesus ate that reveals that Jesus is alive. He's not just spiritually present with them. He is a physical being. He is reality. He's not their imagination. But he's there dwelling with them. And he is still alive. And still real today. Jesus tries to tell them about the kingdom during this time. 
but it's still unclear what they expect of the kingdom. There's still a bit of a question mark in their mind. Is this the time, they ask, that all will be restored to Israel? The plan of restoration is God's. But they want to know the detail. And as they're, they're sort of poking at Jesus with that question, there's more than a hint that what they still want is the overthrow of the Romans. What they are seeking is the restoration of Israel to be a great kingdom. The restoration of land and of power to the people of Israel. Not land and power to God, but land and power to people. That's what they're seeking. Although the Israelites were given a place to be, a promised land, it's arguable whether the nation of Israel was ever intended to be one with a physical border. Because that's not only a line which protects, but a line which hinders understanding. A line which separates. A border is something that divides. You know, I say that coming from a town that's close to a border. And I'm proud of which side of the border I was born on. You know, and my accent is quite distinct from my cousins that were born 20 miles down the road. They are most definitely Cumbrian. That's their problem. <laughs> but a border is something that separates and develops differences and opinions. But God's people are called to be a people that are everywhere. And so Israel, Abraham, was a chosen man. And his children are a chosen people. They are chosen to be a holy nation. But the purpose of that holy nation was to live God's way and tell others of God. That others outside the nation, others outside the Holy Family, might hear how wonderful God is. The kingdom of God is not one that can be drawn on a map. It's not territorial, but spiritual. And the restoration that needs to come is not simply one of Israel being restored, but of the whole world being reconciled and restored to God. There are times and things that happen that we just don't understand. It's not how it should be. The world is not 
how God intended. Our lives are not as God intends. We want the world to be right, for people to be cured, for an end of war, for famine and poverty to cease. And like the disciples, we want the restoration now. Is this the time? They're asking. Please, Lord, let this be the time. But we have to wait. There will be a day when the saviour of the world will come. And the kingdom is fully restored. But Jesus says here that we have to stop speculating about it. People talk of signs of the end times. And to some extent we've seen those for the past 2,000 years. Yet Jesus says it's not for you to know. And maybe if Jesus is saying, it's not for you to know, he means, it's not for you to know. However, the way he says it can give us assurance that there will be an end. And it will be in the plan. And it will be God's way. There is a path ahead. And restoration will come. But it's not for us to know when. But there is something else in the plan. Something that they do need to know about. The people are called to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. It shows a spreading of mission. And it's a spreading that's not only geographical. You know, they're in Jerusalem, and then Judea's just there, and it's not that far to Samaria. It's not just that context. It is the context of people with faith and not with faith, or of different faiths. Jerusalem, the holy city, it's where the Jewish people worshipped. It's where they came to bring their sacrifice to the temple. It represents being those that want to seek something of God. Those that are thirsty. Those that are coming to God saying, look, I want to be with you. Those that recognize their weakness before the Lord. Be it through their illness or through their sins. And say, look, Lord, I'm here. But then there's Judea. And it's God's people, but it's kind of, well, it's a bit further outside the city, you know. It's not where you're bringing your sacrifice. It's kind of those that put on their census return that they're a Christian. But then might ask the question, well, why would I want to go to church on a Sunday morning? You know, there are people that know of the faith. People that Well, they might come at Christmas. 
And then there's the land of Samaria. The Samaritans had, or maybe I should say have, there are still just less than about 800 Samaritans. They have a common ancestor in Jacob. But at the time of the exile, their worship changed. They would argue that their worship stayed the same and that the others changed. They are people who know God but worship differently and have different understandings. They are people of another faith but yet still have faith. And they are called to receive a witness. They're part of the distant family. Those that we don't normally talk to. Those that we might even shun. But God doesn't shun them. He loves them. And longs for them to hear the word. And then in this list we have the ends of the earth. No shared faith, no family link, but again, Jesus loves them. And he tells the disciples that they are to go to them and share hope, share truth, share love. God's love is for all people right to the ends of the earth. But they're not supposed to set out in this journey straight away. They're to wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been reading lots of different bits of Gospels, you will know that the Holy Spirit is there. We hear in John's Gospel, how Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit upon them. You'll have seen before they go out, as the 12 or as the 72, that the Holy Spirit has been with them. And they've already been empowered to cast out demons and to bring healing. But they have to wait For the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Which will change things. In their life. They didn't know how long they would have to wait. They don't know quite what would happen. But wait they did. Wait they do. Because they trust. And are obedient to. The Lord. And this time of waiting is not time wasted. It's time in prayer. 
It's time of being together, of praying together, of thinking on what the Lord is going to be doing, what the Lord is already doing, what he is saying to them. The Catching the Wave book that we had in Lent told the story of revivals through the years. And what was notable in each case is that the people are meeting and praying about what is next. In meeting together, they're able to join in and say Amen in agreement. I agree. They waited on the Lord to do something as the disciples waited, seeking his will. And we need to learn that although it's good to have our own quiet times, although it's good to spend time each day, some of you might not manage that, but it's good to seek time at home personally. It's also good to gather in prayer as we've had our time of prayers this morning to pray for the issues and to pray as a church. There is power in prayer that seeks the will of God and belongs not to just one person but is a prayer of the church. There's power in individual prayer too but there's power when we meet and when we have an agreement that that is what we have to say to the Lord. They're given this challenge, this way ahead to wait for the Spirit and then go out. But yet they seem lost as Jesus ascends. They're like that morning at the empty tomb. They'd known where Jesus was. They were used to seeing him. And they've lost him again. And they're stood there. Last time they thought that was the end. All hope had been lost along with Jesus. But this time they can have hope. And this time we can have hope. Because we know the story. We know the encouragement that they are given. That this is the beginning of something new. It's not like looking into a dark cave. They're looking up to the sky. And they need to think on what they have seen and act accordingly. The Bible reading lays out what's happened. He gives a hint of what is going to occur. Jesus is the living risen Lord. He ascended to heaven. He is sending the Holy Spirit. His people will become witnesses. The kingdom will grow. And then there's that last bit. He will return. 
we are part of this adventure. We are part of this story of love. May we live as Christ calls. Be equipped by the Spirit, prayerful people, and proclaim the Lord's word. Let's trust in his hope. Amen.